Cube Podcast. We are presented by Goodyear. Drive always discovers possibilities. Goodyear, more driven. Special guests on today's show, which, we're, by the way, we're recording on Sunday evening uh, because uh, we just had to get that Dallas Clippers game in. We haven't watched the late games yet, but um, we just finished the Dallas Clippers game. What an amazing game. And my guests... Um, uh, joining me from Los Angeles is Chinea Gumake. Chinea, I'm still got goosebumps from that performance. I don't know about you. I, you know, you said you were you were screaming at your screen. I really was screaming. Like five minutes left of the fourth, after the ping pong three point baskets, I was out of my couch, just literally screaming my head off. That was so entertaining. That was so fun, and I love it when it comes down to the last shot. So I'm still on. Yeah, I have I have like a screaming headache. You know how like you start screaming. <laughs> Yeah. Totally have one. And joining us from the greater Hartford, Bristol, Connecticut area is Mike Golick Jr., uh, making his first appearance on the Hoop Collective podcast. Welcome, Golick. How are you? I'm good. Honored to make my first appearance on a podcast that we always enjoyed referencing on the morning show. I think Trey Wingo said it on multiple occasions to you, Brian, but our favorite name for a podcast was for sure the Hoop Collective. Thank God. You know how much money I got for coming up with it? Oh, my God. Just, <laughs> so, so basically, we need to run him his money. Let's, let's, make, that, right. let's make that happen. Oh, by the way, uh, Chidane Golick Jr. Uh, happens on ESPN Radio, brand new show, every weekday from 4 to 7 Eastern, or you can find the show as a podcast on your favorite podcast app. So you guys, I can't believe you guys spend all week together, and then we were able to convince you to come on on your off day and spend more time together. So... I'm going to do my best to make you guys sick of each other. Uh, <laughs> it, it won't take long, but it's funny because we first met 4 to 7 Eastern, but it was a.m., so that's where we started. <laughs> I know. I, re I read all of those, all the coverage about your big uh, debut. I read all those stories. Um, so, okay, Luka Doncic with one for the ages. Um, okay, first off, I cannot believe he played in this game. Um, I've covered the NBA for 17 seasons, and I have – Come to understand that, that, that one player's injury is not going to be like another player's injury. Having said that, when I see an ankle injury, I usually have a good idea of how bad it is. Now, I've seen LeBron turn his ankle over and walk it off, but I sort of put him in his own category. That Luka ankle injury where he turned it almost 90 degrees to the floor, I don't mean to be graphic but that what he did and then was basically unable to walk on it i mean he came back out but he he was he was a shell of himself i thought well maybe if he gets away with a first degree ankle sprain he could come back at some point in the series but he's not playing less than 48 hours later forget about it and then the mavericks were doing like this this smoke screen, they said that there was a problem with the MRI machine, so they didn't have an update on Saturday. And then they were like, oh, it's not so bad, but we're not giving an update. And I'm like, what kind of shenanigans are going on here? I can't even believe he was able to play in this game. And then Cheney, he is out there cutting on that leg. In fact, the three-pointer that he hit, the step-back three, he pushes off of it to create the space. Um Chine, I, I mean, you've played through injuries. You've unfortunately had a lot of injuries in your career. But, I mean, I know you say adrenaline, but come on. Did you think he was going to play in this game after seeing him turn his ankle on Friday? First, I have to give credit to the Mavs because they played the mental Olympics. Like, oh, I'm going to get you comfortable. I don't know if he's going to play. Meanwhile, we see while he's playing that 
that's why. Like, he is a competitor. And that's where I hate, okay, I hate being that person to talk, to say someone is a legend, but, like, if a legend grows at the age of 21, that's what you remember. It's not necessarily the, what, 43, 17, and 13. It's the fact that he was doing this where we saw, especially in overtime, he was he could barely run back at moments. Like, he was picking and choosing his spots to go and obviously that last possession, his step back was one of the big spots. But, man, I'm impressed. And I think as hoopers, we know that when you roll your ankle, you can sort of immediately use that adrenaline and keep playing. But when you roll it that bad, normally the next day it swells up and it's hard to even, you know, walk. And knowing the process of mentally getting ready when you know every time you jump, anytime you land, anytime you cut – it's something that gets in your head and that can affect how you perform. So for him to push that all to the side and to deliver on the biggest stage, his biggest game, this is playoff game four of his career, correct? That's so right. well so, NBA. He's played NBA, yes. He's played in Europe. Europe. Yeah. He's played NBA playoff, playoff games. But, exactly. Yeah. NBA playoffs, so at the age of twenty one. Europe is is very similar in the sense of like the grandeur, because if you haven't seen overseas basketball, like they sell out stadiums and there's a lot of pressure, especially when you're a homegrown talent or someone, you know, notable across Europe built your star there. But here it's just different because you're, you're doing it against certified talent. So to see him even without Porzingis and also like, it was the way that he was scoring that got his teammates to feel like they could accomplish the impossible. You look at the Clippers lineup and how lethal they are. If you're making comparison talent for talent, we all know where like the side, what side outweighs. So he's playing galvanizing basketball, knowing, and his teammates know he's not 100%. They have his back and they're, they're playing so inspired. So yeah, I lost my voice. Uh, I was like drinking tea in between the time of <laughs> the pod and now because I was like, wow, this is when you start saying, I remember where I was when he hit this shot. And, um, yeah, doing it on an ankle that normally it's – those are the ones where you can play with, but it, it's not easy and it can mentally affect you. And to defeat that, I mean, his young legend is growing. So, Mike, I mean, this is – okay, though he's going to probably play hundreds of playoff games in his career. Uh, who knows what he will do? Um, it's, it's hard to have perspective in the moment. Um, but – the fact that he was able to play through it and then the actual play itself, you know, it's like a 27 footer high arcing, like the ball was in the air for three seconds. I mean, that's an all time shot right there. I mean, you know, it's game four of a first round series. It doesn't compare to like, you know, Kyrie or whatever, but what a freaking shot without the injury. Yeah. And I think what Cheney brought up, there's probably a pretty at point, his young legend like you never forget your first time right like a first big buzzer beater bu buzzer beating <laughs> game winner in the playoffs and so I think that's kind of the lens on this I'm already getting texts from people in group chats around ESPN and our production staff is Luca a top three player in the NBA already like these are the kinds of things that we know how it's that... very ESPN of us uh, <laughs> as we get ready for the Monday morning news cycle it's very ESPN of us always turning around content Brian you know that you know the drill around here especially in the radio department but it is interesting the way that this kind of shot and this kind of moments always becomes the lens that we start to develop especially in the NBA where I, I think the 
the weight that we put on postseason performance. It's the reason Paul George is going to have a really rough week around here unless something changes in the next few days drastically for him. Because right, wrong, or indifferent, this has been the prorated portion of the NBA schedule for everyone, especially the lens that we view star players through. And so you're right for Luka to do any of this. If he had done this all healthy, if he had done this all just at 21 years old, and like Cheney mentioned, his fourth playoff game without the ankle injury, this is gold, and this is already a moment that we're going to try and preserve in Amber. But the fact that he does it on an ankle that injury-wise, that ankle injury, even as drastic as you described it, and we all know it to be, will only become worse over time. It, I don't know. It's one of those that I'm glad we were all there together and I know was great because it's one of those Twitter moments where you can just go on and comment, wow, or oh my God, and everyone knows exactly what everyone else is reacting to because we were all watching the same one incredible thing. I like. Here's the thing. like I know that like LeBron... LeBron's ankles, which are the size of my shoulder, okay? Um, when LeBron, I've seen LeBron turn his ankles a dozen times that would knock other guys out for days, and he just gets right back up. Because you know that he has very resilient ankles, okay? Even though he's had times in his career where he's missed game with ankle injuries. But we th- we already know that Luka has fragile ankles because he's he's had this left ankle be re-sprained several times. So... Again, I, I mean, there, there's so much to talk about in this game, but I still am numb to the idea that he could play at this level having seen that injury. I, I just, I, I mean, that's just amazing. But you, you mentioned Paul George, Golick. In this game, okay, the Mavericks did not have Chris Porzingis, which was a late scratch. We were all focused on can Luca play. We had no idea that, uh, that Porzingis might miss another game with a right knee injury. And by the way, Porzingis's knees are very important to the future of this franchise, and it's kind of it's a big time yin to the yang downer um, on this. But um, he's having an MRI probably right about now to see what the situation is with that knee and about whether him going forward. So they didn't have their second best player, but in this game, Seth Curry six of nine shooting uh. and talking trash, by the way, to Paul George, <laughs> yep. which. Called him some words, and if you want, I'm talking, not going to talk. About- he pointed. He pointed, Brian. Did you see that? Yeah, I saw it. And if you, I don't really want to talk about it here because we talked about the NBA here. He literally. If you want to, if you want to Google the background between Seth Curry and and Paul George, let's just say there's other things at play in their lives besides the fact that they're competing on the court. Seth Curry goes six and nine. Um, Trey Burke goes ten of fourteen. Um, Maxi Kleba plays incredible defense down the stretch, uh, even though Kawhi Leonard got him a few times. Um, the Mavericks overall, Cheney, with an, just an overall incredible performance, um, to put up 135, I know it was overtime, but whatever it was in regulation, 123 or whatever, on this defense. I mean, this Dallas team is, is legitimate. Like, this is, this, is a, this is a team with teeth. Yeah, and, and it's interesting because... A lot of people see it today through the lens of today or tonight, um, you know, going toe to toe with the Clippers, like the talent. Lou Will, you know, performing and having a big game goes toe to toe with Trey Burke and Seth Curry. Like, so when these things balance out, that's when it comes down to possessions. But, you know, if you look at the big picture with the Mavericks, they were the top offense in the NBA all year long. And a lot of that was built upon getting Chris Stapps Porzingis healthy, 
him stretching the floor, knocking down shots. And so it seemed like going into the playoffs, they had enough time during the regular season to piece it all together and have an identity in the postseason. So to do that, to win with a injured Luka and without Perzingis, but also getting the production from a number of players, I mean, players that had their moments, but it's it's one of those things where once you give a young, well, a young talented player trying to make them a name for themselves confidence, they're going to roll with it. And I think the Clippers let too many moments of Trey Burke going behind the back crossover, getting to the rim and feeling like he can finish instead of there being a Clipper deterrent in the paint to make him think maybe I need to settle for the jumper. Or even in transition with Tim Hardaway Jr. just feeling so comfortable to knock down a transition long two or three without even thinking, no hesitation. Like, that's what kills you in the playoffs. It's the confidence you instill in your opponents to compete despite the talent differential. And so for me, like watching this Clippers team, they did it without production from Paul George. But I'm like, man, imagine if Paul George strings together a better game like Kawhi was doing what he does and like I was just watching I was like it just looks so easy to him defensively and it comes so easy to him with his strength offensively if they just had one little decisive factor in defending consistently down the stretch or even just having another producer it just yeah they were really bad in close games this year like that was one of their big downfalls. You sense there, like they got to close games and they kind of fell apart. So, like on one hand, I could argue, boy, you get this kind of performance uh, without Chris Epps Porzingis from those guards, uh, you got to win that game. But on the other hand, getting him into a close game usually has curtains. And not only that, but Luca <clears throat> was terrible at step back threes. Yeah. He was, he was, um, he t- he takes a lot of them. And I remember there was a stat that we had uh, last week that among the 25 guys who had, who had taken at least 50 step-back three-pointers, um, he was 22nd in field goal percentage. So he, you know, getting them in a close game yeah. and having Luca try to do step-backs, and by the way, he hit three step-back threes in the fourth quarter in overtime. <laughs> That's what you want, and, he's, and they still beat him. But, but there, he's been picking and choosing his moments, too. There was a point in the series, I think it was after game two or three, I can't remember, where he had only made two mid-range field goals. And I think that's where the Clippers wanted him. They wanted him missing those mid-ranges instead of finishing in the paint shooting threes like we saw. But, yeah, I think the difference here is Paul George because the, the argument is everyone else sort of comes to play. Defense was a little here or there, but it, it ended up airing on their favor later where they were able to make a run to get to OT but if there was just that one normal boost, this is a Clippers team that should have beat Dallas. But it's the playoffs. Yeah, so Rick Carlisle, by the way, drew up a really good play at the end of the game. He ran a double screen for Luka to get Reggie Jackson onto, um, onto Luka because obviously they wanted either Paul George or Kawhi Leonard on, but they... But still, it was it was not a. I mean, you can blame Reggie Jackson, but he did a good job forcing him into that shot. It was a tough shot. Go like you mentioned about Paul George. Paul George has shot twenty one percent in the last three games in this series. He was three of fourteen today. Um, there were periods at the end of the fourth quarter in overtime where Paul George was open, and his teammates were not even looking at him. Like Lou Williams, who was great today at thirty six points, 
the Clippers' depth really coming into play there because they have a guy like Lou Williams who can serve, who they can go to if Paul isn't going. But like his, even his own teammates are not even really looking at him. And you know, Paul's run his mouth a little bit. You know, not not to mention his performance. And you know, when, when he when he formed this alliance with Kawhi, Mike, this was not what they were looking for. They've got plenty of time here, but this is not a good start. No, and I think that was always the thought with Paul George, even going back to last year and the the finish in the MVP voting. Everyone always talked about, all right, you get that guy in a role where he doesn't have to be the unquestioned alpha in the situation, and all of a sudden he's freed up to play the game that comes most natural to him. And so to see not only the outside world acknowledging that, but I mean, you mentioned he talked a lot of smack along, uh, you know, against uh, Dame Lillard. And when Dame hit him back with that keep running from competition or keep looking for a new, like, that being said by another superstar player in this league out in public like that lets you know that, all right, it's not just fans and pundits and all of us talking heads that are out here mentioning these things about Paul George. Like, this is going to be something that is following him in other locker rooms. And certainly, you mentioned, like, I, I... multiple stretches down the course of that game, whether it was in the fourth quarter or overtime, I'm looking around having to remind myself where Paul George is even on the court. Like, when's the last time we were able to say something that about someone in a big two or a big three on any of these supposed high-caliber superstar-laden teams? It, it just doesn't happen. And to see a complete ghost effort, I can understand off nights, I can understand it doesn't always look like you know a 40-point triple-double and massive offensive output, but if you're on a team, and this is regardless regardless of sport and you know where the money goes and you know who the names are supposed to be on the team there's an understanding that down the stretch in those key moments are when we're paying you to be relied on Cheney mentioned all the confidence you gained from that like there's there's no factor quite like knowing you got a dude to calm down the rest of the bodies on a roster and when you're not getting that from a guy it all of a sudden stresses parts of the system that aren't as used to having to shoulder that load so that's to me creates the most questions going forward. I was so curious about this Clippers playoff run just because we know, I think it's after next year that Paul George's contract situation comes to a point where all of a sudden we could see him on the move again. And some of the questions start to pop up about a Clippers team that came together in the very, you know, kind of not backdoor fashion, but we know what Kawhi and others were involved in in order to make it all happen. So it makes the future look a little murkier. Well, they've they've got a lot of time here, but they are um, they're a little bit unsteady because not only is Paul George not playing well, but Montrez Harrell is not playing well, um, and they pretty much Doc had to bench Montrez Harrell down the stretch of this game. Um, and uh, by the way, before the game, uh, Montrez uh, had some words. He you know he had there had been a little bit of a hubbub about something he had been caught saying to Luka Doncic, and he went over and, and um, cleared the air before the game, and Luka told him. You know, whatever, I don't care. You know, people say things to each other during the game. But, um, you know, like on one hand I can say, well, look, Patrick Beverly is hurt. He didn't play in this game. And, you know, Montrez Harrell is not right. And Paul George can't make a shot. And yet here the Clippers are taking these, you know, roundhouse rights from all of these uh, Mavericks players. And still here they are almost winning this game. Like you could argue, like, you know, look what it takes to beat them. But on the other hand, it's 2-2. And, you know, they are have not shown that they can stop them defensively, you know. And, you know, down the stretch of this game, it was Kawhi on, on Luka. And, and it was amazing to watch that. Um, this is a real, this is a real series. And I expected Dallas to give them 
some trouble, Chenay, but I didn't expect him to really threaten to win it. Do you think the Mavericks can do this with the reality that they're waiting for a, an MRI on uh, on Chris Epps? Do you think they could win two of the next three? So the trends are different for both teams, and I still think the Clippers are trending in a direction where it's more likely that Paul George can catch fire and finally piece together a better game. It's more likely that Montrez Harrell, who missed extended time in the bubble, is going to catch rhythm too, and that's the guy that I think puts the fear of God when you attack in the paint because he's trying to pin shots. He's going to try to get rebounds. He also is great offensively rebounding, so he gets you extra possessions. He's not afraid to kick it back out where that, you know, swing turns to a five-point swing, so he's that type of game changer. Obviously, Beverly, you add that as a defender versus the uh, the Mavs in which hopefully Luka doesn't react, you know, from playing extended minutes on an ankle and Chris Stapps. We're not sure how healthy he is. And I know the previous game he had right knee soreness and then still played, had 23 and was like good from the field. So the trends are different for both teams and it will take that sheer force of will that Luca had over the course of an entire game to compete with a team like the Clippers who are sort of built to withstand um, a little bit more adversity based on the talent level. Like to have someone come off the bench or to give you a boost like a Lou Will, to have someone that can, even if he's not playing well, at least hustle around and give you a couple fouls like Montrez. Like those things are valuable, and I'm not sure how long um, Dallas can sustain it based on the health. Well, Montrez, like what by the way, today played 17 minutes. It was minus 19 and plus minus two points. Yeah, yeah um, but one, I mean. One rebound in 17 minutes. Yeah. This is a guy who. You know, so that's that. I mean, pe- people are on player. Paul George. I know people are on Paul George, and rightfully so. He's the max player, <clears throat> star, and everything like that. But Montrez is letting him down too. But yeah, um, I guess my argument is that when you're looking for an energy player, a guy to go and grab a rebound, hopefully better than he did now. I still think, like he, you know, over the course of this season, he proved that he's capable. And no, so, like, sure. it can it can only go up, in my opinion, for Montrez, and it can only go up. For Paul George, so if those guys just moderately play better, then it's going to be a different outlook for the Clippers versus if you know, hopefully the the, the guys stay healthy and Luca and and Chris Stapp. So the health plays a huge factor, and it trends differently for both teams. And I do think that it airs better on the Clippers, but I can see by sheer competitive will, I can see this going the distance to a seven games, obviously. Yeah, no kidding. All right, well, Janae has to leave us right now. She's got another commitment, but again, I know. Uh, we're going to be we're going to be we're going to be joined by Tim Bontemps from the Bubble in Orlando in a minute. But Janae, thank you, and everybody can check you and uh, Golik Jr. out uh, four to seven Eastern. Thank you, Janae thank you for Jr. having me today and not yesterday, where I got mad at my Houston Rockets for not being able in, to inbound the ball twice. That I feel like could have <laughs> secured the game, and then we wouldn't have to go to, to OT and James Harden. So I appreciate you picking today. For the ones who get it done, Granger offers high-quality supplies and solutions for every industry, as well as access to product specialists who have the knowledge and experience to answer your toughest questions. Plus, their commitment to being your safety partner can help you keep your facilities safe and your people safer. Call or click Ranger.com or just stop by. Now let's talk about the play of the week, the pressure to follow up Hypnotic and Cognac weighing heavily on the team. Hypnotic was in the cup, blue and ready for the play. And boom, Onyeho Tequila came in with a smooth assist to Hypnotic's tropical fruit finish. 
shaken, strained, poured. It was green and good. The playmaking splash shifted the tempo. Another great cocktail from the hypnotic team. Every season is hypnotic in tequila season. Hypnotic liquor, Bardstown, Kentucky, 17% alcohol by volume. Hypnotic reminds you to think wisely, drink wisely. All right, now joining us from the Orlando bubble is Tim Bontemps, who's joining Golick Jr. and I. Uh, Tim, you uh, were you were you've covered the entire Celtics uh, Sixers series, which ended uh, earlier today in a sweep, and um, quite a little bit of uh, some emotion was held back, but some emotion wasn't from the Sixers after this game. I mean, first off, Celtics. I mean, I thought this series would be somewhat challenging for them, even without Ben Simmons. Um, the Celtics were fantastic. Their game plan worked really, really well. They lost Gordon Hayward, and it didn't slow them down at all. They maybe even played better after that. Jason Tatum was awesome. Kemba Walker, who'd only won three playoff games in his career, uh, just stuck a a, a knife into Philly's defensive strategy on the pick-and-roll, just killed them on the pick-and-roll. Jalen Brown played great. Daniel Tice played great. I mean, it was just a complete performance. We'll be talking about them more. But first off, the 76ers, what a disappointment. I mean, obviously throughout the season, and we talked about it a lot on this podcast, they let themselves down. And, and then losing Ben in the bubble, obviously a setback. But for them to, and by the way, today's game was a four-point game. It was nowhere close to that. It was not a close game at all. Um, for them to to put this uh, performance out there, so disappointing. And then afterward, maybe you could go over some of the stuff that was said that sort of is going to create a very interesting offseason. Yeah, Brian. I mean, this year's Celtics team has reminded me of last year, or this year's Sixers team, I should say, has reminded me of last year's Celtics team all year long. And that, you know, last year we went through the season with the Celtics and everybody kept saying, all right, at some point, the switch is going to flip and this, all these pieces that are very talented are going to come together and they're going to look great. Right. And it just never happened. And we've had the same conversation about this Sixers team the entire season. It's like, Hey, they've got Tobias Harris and Joel Embiid and Ben Simmons and Al Horford and Josh Richardson. And they've got Matisse Thibel, a great rookie defensive player off the bench. They got all these pieces. They're going to figure it out. They're going to be the best defensive team in the league and it's all going to come together. And it just didn't. And, you know, they were incredible at home and they were terrible on the road all season and they were up and down. They had injuries all season. And, you know, to your point, when Ben Simmons was lost for the season, when he jumped and landed and hurt his knee uh, back on August 5th, um, in a similar fashion, frankly, to how he hurt his back back in February, just jumping and landing, uh, which is kind of disconcerting about his, you know, health going forward. Uh, you knew that Philly's season was done then. But you also thought that playing this Celtics team that had no answer for Joel Embiid inside, that had no way to combat Philly's size across the board all season when the two teams played, you felt that this was a matchup that the Sixers could take advantage of and at least make this a competitive series. And to your point, some of these games were close. Game two was a blowout. Game, the game today, you know, Tobias Harris had a scary fall. He ended up being okay, but the game really shifted after he went out. But despite the fact that they played hard, they still got swept. And this is a team that, came into this season with championship aspirations last summer. Their owner, Josh Harris, said, this is a team that we think can win the NBA title. Obviously, yeah, and spent swept $400 in the first million round. Dollars on, and said, right. spent $400 million on these players as well. I That's right. Out. That's right. Spent, spent $180 million on Tobias Harris, who did not step up in the moment, got thoroughly outplayed 
by Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum in the series on the wing to the point where he wasn't even guarding him some of the time because he couldn't handle him. Uh, Al Horford was signed Markel away from the Celtics. Markel Fultz has more three-pointers made in the postseason than Tobias Harris does. That's, I know he got hurt today, true. but, you know. but No, but it's, but it's true. Al Horford was, was signed away from the Celtics, a guy who had tortured Joel Embiid the past few years. Uh, was supposed to be this dynamic pairing. It was going to be tremendous defensively. It was going to prevent the Sixers from being obliterated when Embiid wasn't on the court anymore. Not only did the Sixers still get obliterated when Embiid wasn't on the court anymore, but he and Horford never fit together at all. And, you know, to your point, we get to after the game today, and you have Josh Richardson, who was a disappointment all season after being traded away, by the way, for Jimmy Butler, a guy who'd look awfully good on the Sixers right now. Uh, Josh Richardson says his team needs more accountability uh, from the coach and from the coaching staff towards players after the game. You know, Joel Embiid saying, well, I've always wanted to be in Philly, but – well, hold, on hold, on, hold, on here, hold on a minute. Hold on. Hold on. Hold on. Hold on a minute. Hold on a minute. Okay. I want to. I want to. I want to. Yeah. So go. We can go through each thing if you want. You asked me to All go right. through everything at once, so I was trying to I go know, through it. I know. I know. Hold on. Golik, I want to ask you about this. So yeah. I'm sitting on the Zoom today, watching Joel Embiid. All right, and he gets asked the following question, because the previous question was about you know what he was going to do in the gym over the off season and what he was going to try to improve to fit better with this roster and everything like that. And so I think it's important to read the exact question that Joel Embiid was asked. This individual asked, does it change your process? That's a loaded word. Does it change your process knowing that some things are up in the air? And he meant with like the organization with Brett Brown possibly being let go. And here's what his answer was. I don't make the decisions. I'm here in Philly. Whatever happens, happens. I've always said that I want to end my career here. And if that happens, good. If it doesn't happen, well, you move on. And I was like, wait a minute. Did he just ask about, did did he just get asked about his offseason process and then bring up the possibility of being traded? Like nobody, I mean, sometimes the media is guilty of taking things out of context. Sometimes the media will ask a leading question. Um, but Golik, Embiid brought up the con- brought up the idea of being traded, and I mean, I have to assume he knew what he was doing. And now, I mean, I know it's a headline because I wrote the story for ESPN.com <laughs> because my eyebrows shot up so much. Like, what, what is he talking about? Like, like now, I mean, first off, Brett Brown is there's a good chance he's going to be let go before this podcast is posted, or even by by later Monday. But now this comes up, and what did you think when you heard that? I thought, man, that guy had been waiting to get that off his heart, right? Like, that's not something you say in a post-game press conference. And I get it. Guys are emotional after games, especially a series that's gone the way this one has for Philadelphia. But something like that, where it's completely... You, know, you just use that question, and Mike Tomlin, I've always heard him you know, talk about, I go into a press conference knowing what I want to say, so it doesn't matter what the media asks me. That looked like one of those moments where, as long as it was close enough... I'm ready to get this off my heart in this situation. And it is wild because I was having a conversation before I saw those comments with somebody else today, and they said, man, if I'm Joel Embiid, I raise hell, and I'm trying to get out of here you know, as soon as I can if things aren't going to continue to go the way they have around here in Philadelphia. And so blown away, but this is kind of emblematic of the whole situation. Like that's a comment that has, you know, 
I think in the best case scenario has the purpose of someone who has a plan like Joel Embiid might to get out of there, but at worst just kind of continues to reflect on the maturity of this team that's always been in question. And I think that's why you have wild swings where you do so well at home, but you lose the lack the focus on the road to be consistent enough to accomplish there up to the level of your talent. So that one comment is probably emblematic of what this entire era in Philadelphia has been, which is a lot of expectations and then constantly being surprised by the answer you ultimately get. I couldn't yeah. agree with you more, yeah. Mike. That's a great point. And it's, as you went through, as we, me and Brian were both listening to Joel during this press conference, he, last year, when, at the end of the season, he emphatically defended Brett Brown. Today, he basically said, I'm not in charge. Uh, he took shots at the front office for blowing up the team from a couple of years ago and replacing it with basically Jimmy Butler and Tobias Harris on Jimmy Butler's gone. And he made this comment. So to your point, they just get swept. He came into the series as the player who's supposed to be able to carry Philly to at least make this competitive. He was a minus in every game. He had the worst plus minus over four games of his career. And he came into this post-game setting, and everything was about everybody else, including whether he would stay there. So I, I think to your point, it is incredibly emblematic of the entire mess that the whole franchise currently finds itself in. Okay, let me, let me, let me read his words so it's accurate. This was the question to Joel Embiid. There are people questioning whether Brett Brown should be back. Do you think that's fair based on the way this year went? I don't know. That was my, that not, was my question to be, to that's be clear right. also. <laughs> that's, it was your question. In fairness, that was your question. And you've been talking to Joel for years now, covering this team a lot. How many times have you taken that shuttle flight from Boston down to Philly? Uh, more um, than once. How many, times, how many times has it been delayed? More than once. Um, <laughs> I don't know. <clears throat> I'm not the GM. I don't make the decision. So, look, I'm not asking for Joel Embiid to come out and give an impassioned plea. But, you know. But that's what he did just, last just, year. Yeah. He literally said at the end of last season, uh, rumors about the coach getting fired are BS, except he said the word. And he said, I think he's done a great job and gotten better this year. That's what he did at the end of last season. The end of this season, he says, I'm not the GM. I trust in management to make the right decision. I mean, he did so, say, look, he's a great guy. He's even a better person than a coach. He cares about his players. It wasn't like he totally threw him out on the limb. But, you know, he was. The, what you were doing is you were giving him an opportunity to make a correct. comment on his job, and he, uh, he, de- he de- declined to do that. And I don't. He, he had repeated chances to defend Brett Brown and did not. Right. Okay. So Brett Brown is almost certainly going to get fired. So, Tim, what, what do the 76ers do now? They have. A very expensive roster that is underperforming. They have injury issues. What do, you know, what do they do now? Well, the first thing they're going to do, obviously, is go out and get a new coach. And, you know, I would certainly think that you would wait to see, as you've been saying all season, uh, you would wait to see what happens with, with Ben Simmons and Joel Embiid with a new coach before you decide to break up two of the best players in the league. Uh, you had, that, by the way, real, I want to put something out. You had some stats in your story. You wrote a story about sort of a... I mean, it's sort of morbid, but an in, in obit on the 76ers that posted. Yep. You had some stats about Simmons and Embiid. I want you to tell them right now, because I think this is for people who are calling for them to be broken up or whenever Embiid said, I want you to tell these stats because I think they're important. Yeah. I mean, real, before I even give the stats, there have been people all season, for really for a couple of years, who have said that Ben Simmons and Joel Embiid can't play together. Well, if you watch this series against the Celtics, they're a hell of a lot better when they have Ben Simmons and Joel Embiid when they just have Joel Embiid, as we saw with what happened over the past four games. But to illustrate that point, two years ago, Joel, when that comment I referenced earlier, and he was talking about that team from two years ago, when Ben Simmons and Joel Embiid were on the court together for about 1,300 minutes, they were plus 15.5 points for 100 possessions. 
than their opponents. That means they outscored their opponents by 15 points basically per game uh, when they were out down the court. There's generally 100 possessions in the game. Last year, they were plus eight points per 100 possessions. Uh, same number of minutes, 13, 1,400 minutes. This year, so, in 840 so, so they got, minutes... They, so they reduced by half. Their effectiveness that's right. reduced by but, half but, last year. But they were still very good. They were still very good. This year, in 840 minutes together, the Sixers outscored their opponents with Ben Simmons and Joel Embiid, two of the best players in the league, on the court together by 16 total points. Not 16 points per 100 possessions, 16 total points. And what has changed over the past three years? Not the coach, not Ben Simmons, not Joel Embiid. Everything around them, literally, has changed. And I think when you look at what's going on with the Sixers, it really, to me, I mean, even more than Al Horford, which has not worked, it starts with Tobias Harris. By trading for Tobias Harris last February and then giving Tobias Harris a five-year, $180 million contract last summer, the Sixers are betting on Tobias Harris becoming a star and an all-star player. That's exactly what, Brett, what Elton Brand, the team's GM, told me last July. And Tobias Harris this year was literally the same player he's always been with the same shooting percentages. He was a very nice, solid, slightly above average to above average player and was not an all-star. And when you look at the, at the sum total of what the Sixers have, that's their biggest problem. They paid him to be their third star, and he isn't one. Vivid Seats wants you to get to the games you love this spring. Experience every pitch, assist, and game-winning shot live and in person. And the best part? Each transaction is a step toward a free 11th ticket with Vivid Seat Rewards. Score unbeatable perks like free tickets, surprise seat upgrades, and annual birthday deals. As official ticketing partner of ESPN, Vivid Seats is offering you $20 off your first $200 ticket purchase with code HOOP. That's code HOOP, H-O-O-P. Visit VividSeats.com or download the app today. Vivid Seats, experience it live. Two guys drove to work. Neither guy wore a seatbelt. One guy got a ticket. One guy didn't. The same two guys drove home. One guy wore a seatbelt. One guy didn't. One guy made it home. The guy not wearing his seatbelt didn't. Don't risk it. Click it or ticket. Paid for by NHTSA. Okay, so, uh, Golik, this situation in Philadelphia, now, we don't even know how, we don't even know when the offseason is going to be. Um, but you know the Philadelphia fans. This is a complete disappointment. Do you think Elton Brand can survive this? Regardless of the basketball decision, the people in Philadelphia reacting to, you know, will they be satisfied with just Brett Brown? No, I mean, a straw sample of people that I uh, know are Philadelphia fans that I follow, that I talk with regularly, have been probably for the last week already ready to burn everything down in that organization. So I don't think just Brett Brown will be good enough for everybody, but at the same time, if we made decisions based off the whims of the Philadelphia fan base in any sport, there would be a lot of good that would ultimately be undone by that. So I I don't know if Elton Brand ultimately goes down, but I know Brett Brown has probably been someone as a name for Philadelphia fans that's been soured for a while. But you can clearly see here, and I, I think Tim talking about Joel Embiid's lack of real defense here, everyone knows when the run is over. And so now it's on whoever that next voice is. Maybe just a change in voice is enough because we talk about all the talent on this roster. But 
it's going to be ha- someone that's willing to come in and probably play a little bit of a tone setter early on in this. I know the NBA, we don't necessarily think of a coach or anyone in the front office as having to really be a face like that, but this is a fan base that you know is not quite New York where you've got to come in and be able to wield that media stick to be able to somehow survive and all that, but Philly's not far behind, and so it's going to be an interesting and very tall order for whoever comes in next because right, wrong, or indifferent, everyone's going to look and say what we've all said is, no, you've still got a ton of talent on this roster. You know, Even if you've spent and missed on guys like Tobias Harris or mistimed the jump with Al Horford and what he was supposed to mean for your team, everyone still looks at the core ultimately and says, you're supposed to win with this, and so there will be no grace period because there never is in Philadelphia. You're never allowed time to ease your way into anything there. All right, so here's what I think. I think three things need to happen. And I don't, I don't know if, if they're feasible. I think, number one, they have to get a coach who can get into players a little bit. Because Brett Brown, everybody said, I mean, you know, even Josh Richardson, who Bontemps mentioned earlier, basically said he, didn't, he doesn't hold us accountable. He even said he's a good man and a great guy, but he said he doesn't hold us accountable. Um, nobody, nobody doubts his quality as a coach and his quality as a person. But when you have Ben Simmons, who's a wallflower, and you have Joel Embiid, who's a little passive-aggressive, and you have Tobias Harris and Al Horford, two high-quality people, high-character guys, but not vocal leaders. Um, if that's your going to be your coach, if that's going to be your, 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 your leaders, you may need a coach who's a little bit more effective in motivating them. So probably a coach who's a little bit of a, more of a bulldog than Brett Brown. Um, the second thing you're going to need to do is you're probably going to have to try to figure out how to trade either Tobias Harris or Al Horford and get back some sort of perimeter player who can make a shot. Bontemps, I don't know if that trade's out there, but I've seen more difficult trades. Uh, and then the third thing I think you need to do is you need to go get a veteran who can be a locker room leader on that team, who doesn't have to be a star player, but can sort of, again, be the coach's right-hand man to put his foot in someone's uh, you-know-what. Um, those are the three things I think you need to do to, to try to save this group. Bontemps, do you think there's an, a Horford or, or Tobias Harris trade that, could, that, could, that is out there? Well, one that immediately comes to mind to me is Al Horford for Buddy Heald, uh, which I think would maybe have some solutions for both teams. Um, I do think... I do think that you can move Horford more easily than you can move uh, Tobias. Uh, Tobias is a better player. He's also owed $150 million over the next four years. Al is owed about 27 each of the next two years. Then he has a partial guarantee on the third year. It's really only a two-year deal. Um, I think it's a a partial, like 12 or 13 million in the final year. So I, I think you can move him. And I think he's shown over the course of this season, when he's not on the court with Embiid, he was a positive player. For the Sixers, like he can play center and be a quality center who can guard, who can shoot the three, who yeah, can. They took run. away his pick and roll. He ran pick and roll his whole career, right. and then they just didn't run it right. in Philly. He's a great passer. He's great in dribble handoffs. Like, how good would he look playing with, say, Damian Lillard and CJ McCollum in an <laughs> offense like that, where he's catching, where yeah. he's catching out of the roll oh and he's doing it. now? Obviously, Yusuf Nurkic is a better player than him at this point. You're not going to trade him there. But to, I think my point is that I think they can find a home for Horford if they want to try to reshuffle the deck. Like, for example, think about Buddy Heald, right? Buddy has his issues. His contract runs two years longer. Uh, He's going into a four-year extension, but the money's about the same, and he's one of the best three-point shooters in the league. 
So you bring him in to space the floor, all of a sudden things look a little different. So I do think that's, that's something they could do. And to your point about the locker room, I mean, I thought the most damning indictment of this team from that standpoint came after game three. Brett Brown was asked about his team, or after game two, I should say, after they got blown out by the Celtics. He got asked about his team's dynamic in the locker room, and he said, well, we don't have anybody that's going to go in the locker room and knock the table over or kick a chair over or do anything. And he's right. They have a bunch of guys who are just passive, you know, pleasant, nice people, but there isn't a guy in that locker room who's going to stand up and, and ask what the heck is going on. They had that guy last year, Jimmy Butler, and he's no longer there, and they didn't replace him. And when you look at the way the season has played out, that lack of a guy in the locker room to do that for this team I think is definitely a big part of why they're in the situation they're in now. Yeah, ideally that would be a point guard, a veteran point guard who, you know, a poor man's Chris Paul. Who is that? You're not going to be able to get Chris Paul. Well, but I mean, the, need... guy, the guy that would be perfect for their team is a Philly guy from North Philly named Kyle Lowry, but that's not going to happen for a variety of reasons this, this summer. No. But, I mean, that's, that's the no, kind Kyle of guy Lowry that they would do be need brilliant on the team. But, but that's that the kind type of, of player. Need, but it's, but that's, yes, but that, that's, the, that's the mold of the person that they need. Somebody, a veteran guy to come in and bust heads in the locker room and, and kind of set, you know, set people in line. They, they need something right. like that. They currently don't have go, it at all. All right, before we, before we go, I want to bring up something that, you know, you know with the, the Golik mentioned about Embiid possibly floating something. I thought that was good insight that Golik had about him sort of having an idea he wanted to float that. Do you think there's any chance that Embiid tries to apply any pressure at this situation? Um, and if he does, what, what would they do? I don't think so, provided they make a coaching decision that he's okay with, which feels weird to say. Like, I don't feel like he's one of those superstars that should be having any sort of real weigh-in on the decision. Like, obviously, you're going to bring someone in who gels well, or as you said, and I I think the name that came to mind is like someone Tom Thibodeau-esque who's going to come in there and sort of have that iron fist mentality of the way he approaches a team, a locker room that lacks that Jimmy Butler sense. But to answer your question, no, I don't think I'm being – when everyone takes a bit of a breath in here and realizes change is going to be coming in the form of the head coach, I think it's going to buy everyone involved in that core player-wise another year in this outside of some of the potential moves that you guys brought up. And so I don't think we're in for that circus yet, but I think that as we get into next year, if the coaching decision is one that doesn't yield results right away for everybody involved or there is any more of that strife that carries over into a lot of this that's when it would start to get ugly is get into the body of next season. Maybe, you know, God willing, if things normalize a bit with the structure of the world outside of the NBA. But I think knowing a coaching change is the obvious thing that's hanging in the uh, balance here in the next couple of days. I think that's going to buy them time before the uh, player crazy train leaves the station. Bontemps, what do you think about that? I thought that was great insight by Mike. It was my first thought when he said it was – this is him opening the door to potentially leaving, I think, for the first time ever. Uh, and, look, I, I think assuming something, and I, I don't disagree with anything you said, Mike, but I think with the way things are going in Philly and the way they have gone over the past few years, I think assuming anything about the situation is probably a fool's errand. Uh, I, you know, the fact that Joel went out of his way to bring that up without it being asked in any sort of form or fashion at all, I think you have to at least leave open the possibility that he may try to do something. Now, there's a lot of things that are working against a trade like that happening. There's not a lot of cap space on the market this summer. 
This year's draft is not very good. Um, you know, there's a lot of different things that will complicate. He has the three years, ninety-five him. million left on his contract. He doesn't exactly he, have. He doesn't have know, a ton of leverage. leverage. That's right. Yeah. He, he doesn't have a ton of leverage. But you know, look, the fact of the matter is, you know, you guys have been around this long enough to know when a guy says something like this, especially when it's unprompted, it kind of starts a clock, for better or worse. And you know, whether it's Embiid himself or the Sixers or both, they're now on the clock. And this is hanging out there now. And that wasn't an accidental thing that he said. Because to your point, he went out of his way to bring it up on a question that was really just about the coach getting fired. And, you know, he took it in his own direction and made this a thing. And, you know. And he's, it's, and it's, and, and he's a very smart guy. He's not the type of guy who uh, would just space. He did, not, you know? he did not say anything he said today by mistake. Joel is way too smart for that. And he's way too good and at the media for that. He knows is, exactly what he's doing. Former agent is Leon Rose, who now runs the New York Knicks. All right. Well, thank you, Mr. Bontemps. Thank you, Mr. Golick. Thank you for listening to the Hoop Collective podcast. Um, We got ourselves a hot NBA right now. It's really exciting. And uh, who knows what will happen by the next time we talk. Everyone have a great start to your week and take care.